Welcome to Pete Care's Stories of Hope and Healing podcast. We have 11 episodes exploring the hope and healing framework. This framework sets the foundation for caring and working with young people in residential care in a way that understands and responds to trauma. The Hope and Healing Framework was written by Encompass Family and Community Proprietary Limited. In this podcast series, you'll be listening to the stories of young people previously in residential care, practitioners with residential care experience, and experts who were part of the advisory group for the Hope and Healing Framework or are specialists in trauma and child protection. All young people and staff have been given a pseudonym to protect their confidentiality. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that episodes may include names and voices of people who have since passed away. And I think one of the greatest skills that we often don't think about, even though we talk about it, is the ability for that young person to self-regulate. You've got to be able to teach them good life skills and coping strategies so that when they do transition out of care, they know how to cope with their behaviour. Welcome to the seventh episode of Peak Care's Stories of Hope and Healing. I'm your host, Hayley Holst from Pracademics. In our previous episode, we began to explore concepts that are the focus of a therapeutic approach with young people in residential care. Last episode, we discussed how to build a young person's connections to family, culture and community. In this episode, we are exploring how to build a young person's emotional know-how. You will be hearing from one young person, Jessica, as well as experienced residential care staff, Peter, Tony and Elia. Finally, we have included two experts in this episode. You will hear from national and international experts on trauma and development, Dr. Russell Pratt and Kevin Creedon. We hope that their stories and ideas will bring to life this important element of hope and healing. As this podcast will be shared throughout Queensland, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands. We pay our respects to elders past and present and emerging community leaders. We also acknowledge the hardships suffered by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and we hope this podcast is sensitive to their experiences. We also acknowledge the important contributions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, professionals and volunteers to the child protection sector in Queensland. According to the Hope and Healing Framework, building a young person's emotional know-how is critical for their mental health, development and learning. In practice, residential care workers need to support young people to find ways to cope with internal and external stress in adaptive and healthy ways. We met our first expert, Kevin Creedon, in our episode on development, where he discussed that children do well if they can. He again reminded us of this starting assumption when it comes to emotional know-how. If this kid could manage, let's say, his anger or could manage his impulsivity, he would. I mean, because otherwise he's just getting into, you know, trouble with it all the time. So we recognise that young people become aggressive or violent or act impulsively because of both their experience of trauma and because they haven't learned the skills to manage these feelings. Residential care worker Peter believed that learning to manage these feelings is critical. I think one of the greatest skills that we often don't think about even though we talk about it, is the ability for that young person to self-regulate. So I think it's probably the critical life skill that people need. But if you can't get past the behaviour, then you won't see that ability. Young person Jessica had some great insights on this topic and she also highlighted how important these coping skills are. It's all a learning process as well. So like you can't, as soon as there's an issue, like you can't, just say, oh, that's a bad day and just leave it. you got to 
teach them, you know, otherwise they're going to eventually turn 18 and still have those issues when they're 18 and, you know, you're going to have a world full of bad people. But, um, you know, while you can, you're, you're going to be able to teach them good life skills and coping strategies so that when they do transition out of care, they know how to cope with their behaviour. Jessica emphasised that young people have an opportunity to learn from issues that happen. Peter also highlighted that it is these issues or incidents that present opportunities for learning to cope in new ways. You have to be able to go through things and embrace that challenge. Um, I always see you know, um, incidents, that's an opportunity. You can turn things around for the positive, um, but a lot of it is really checking yourself. Um, and then so you can be present for that young person, bring them back down to baseline, but also, you know, um, build that capacity so they can regulate. And, you know, you experience that quite a few times, then they'll have that capacity to self-regulate. When we spoke to Dr Russ Pratt about this, he spoke about how we can help young people develop these critical emotional regulation skills after an incident. We sit down and you know maybe I can assist you to think of ways that, that you could respond and then you know I'll talk about how I'm responding and see if the two go together. Having a conversation to reflect on events and alternative responses is a common tool in many trauma-informed models and strategies. In Queensland many residential care workers are trained in therapeutic crisis intervention commonly known as TCI. Young person Jessica attended TCI training after she left care and thought it was really valuable. She particularly highlighted the benefit of having a conversation after an incident occurs. For those that are familiar with TCI, it is known as a life space interview. Jessica refers to this as a life skills interview, which is also a great name as, like Peter pointed out, coping with emotions is a critical life skill. Jessica tells us why she thinks these techniques are helpful for young people. I feel as though if you react in regards to TCI, you get better outcomes and less likelihood of the child acting out again. And if you don't respond like that, you, it's just going to keep happening and yeah, no outcomes. And if you do do TCI, you have the opportunity, I think it's called a life skills interview, um, and you have that opportunity to teach the child to, um, you know, how to work on it better, how to, if that problem does arise again, you use different um, coping strategies and stuff. While reflecting on past incidents is an important process for young people to learn, Russ tells us that sometimes young people may find it hard to identify why they acted in a certain way. The other thing in terms of asking, you know, a young person post-event, look, how can we make it different the next time? What do you do if that young person says, I have no idea? Because remember, part of this is what we have to expect is that at times the young people won't have any idea. And so then, you know, what happens next is going to be pivotal in terms of us developing that inner world for them. Russ explained to us that young people coming into care may not have a good understanding of their own emotional experiences. This may make it more likely that they will have a critical incident, as well as make it difficult for them to discuss the incident later. 
For this reason, Russ highlighted that we can build young people's emotional know-how by helping them to understand their own emotional experiences. The first thing is to um, assist a young person to actually enrich their emotional world. And that, that really could apply to thinking about the young person actually understanding their own inner emotional world. And, and you know, because kids come to it, obviously, with uh, traumatic, traumatic backgrounds and, and often their emotional world is quite unknown to them. And of course, that's why we see such dysregulation. And, and of course, you know, kids who really don't have a lot of strategies to manage those difficult emotional, uh, um, states that they sometimes sort of come across, such as sadness, you know, anger, um, and even, you know, sometimes some of the more positive ones when they get overexcited. You also get the idea of sort of hypo aroused, you know, being very down and depressed and the hyper-aroused when you, you know, you're really just over the top. So while talking about incidents might help some young people to learn new coping skills, that might require a certain level of emotional insight and residential care workers may need to work with young people to develop that emotional insight first. Kevin Creedon gave us some ideas of how we could begin to do that. I tend to think kind of neurodevelopmentally, so it starts in that body-based, sensory-based area slowing their breathing down and also giving kids, you know, some simple biofeedback around that. A lot of kids, you know, they'll do mindfulness exercises or people will ask them to, you know, do breathing exercises or do yoga and, and they sit there because many traumatized kids are really not in touch with their bodies and have a hard time reading their own body cues. Um, they'll do the breathing and say, yeah, I don't feel any different. This really doesn't work for me. And so, so we try to team particularly that early stuff with some simple biofeedback stuff, particularly around heart rate variability for kids. So we'll have kids regularly take their pulse and then, you know, let's say have them do something like, you know, run in place or do 10 jumping jacks or something and, and now take your pulse again and see how your pulse went up when you, when your heart started beating faster and you got more active. Now let's, you know, slow down your breathing or do this yoga pose or, you know, do this, you know, sensory exercise. Okay, let's take your pulse after that. Oh, it's come down. You know, now the kid begins to feel like, as a lot of these kids talk about stuff happens to them, sort of the external environment impinges upon them and then they lose it or blow up or act impulsively. And part of the message we want to give them is like, you can control some of this stuff. You know, there are active ways that when those feelings erupt in you that you can kind of slow it down or speed it up, whichever you need you need to do. And so helping kids begin to accurately read what their physical state is, is an important first step in that process. These ideas from Kevin highlight that we don't have to wait for a critical incident to build a young person's emotional know-how but we can also use fun activities and our day-to-day -day interactions. Russ also discussed how building emotional know-how involves supporting young people to read emotions in other people. He gave us an example of how to help them build this capacity in our day-to-day -day interactions. You know, staff can do a lot for young people. Um, you know, just the fact of saying, you know, I'm glad to see you today, you know, I'm feeling really happy, you can probably see that by the smile on my face. Um, you know, sounds cheesy, but it actually does telegraph to a young person the emotional state that actually matches the, you know, the physical attributes to the person at that particular time. We asked Russ about the word telegraphing 
and he said it was his way to describe how we can communicate our own internal emotional experience to a young person, which will slowly help them to make the leap between seeing an expression on someone's face and understanding the emotion behind the expression. So we can build a young person's emotional know-how in day-to-day activities that help them tune into their bodies and practice changing how they feel. We can also build it through helping them read emotions in others. Finally, we can help them reflect on things that happened in the past and find new ways to respond. For this last step, we often think that it involves sitting down and talking to the young person in a structured way. But Jessica led us into a secret about these conversations. When it's done right, you don't know what's happening. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, like I don't remember ever happening to me. Residential care worker Elia had a great example of this. She told us about a scenario where she helped a young person identify their trigger, connect it to their emotion, and then work out a new way of responding next time. But she managed to do it in a way that the young person may not be aware of what was happening. I'm an apologizer. (laughs) So um, I'm an apologizer, and then that same outrage I also have against myself. I said, I can't believe I did that. I would never want to do that to you. You must feel just so upset at me. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't know that, that, that when I turned the TV on that loud that that upset you. And you know what? I, you're right. You said, thank you so much for, thank you so much for, and then I find something to thank them for. So if he went to hit me and he didn't, I go, thank you so much for not hitting me because I actually, I just didn't know. And thank you for letting me know. And I cause a big thing and the kid goes, okay, fine, whatever. But the next time we go to do it, that's when the learning happens. So after the escalation. So when I go to turn, I go, hey, I'm going to put the TV real low like you taught me. And he goes, you better. You know, and the next time, you know, I'll do the same thing. But then in the future, he would say to the wor- another worker, hey, Amy knows to keep it down low because I have problems with my ear. So just talk to her and you guys should all meet. And, it, and it's that slow, steady step from escalation repair. I use apology a lot and thanking them for whatever the, whatever I can manage to thank them for. What is great about Elia's story is that Elia used her relationship with the young person to help him learn how to prevent future incidents by letting other residential care workers know about things that he doesn't like. Finally, when young people are ready, it may be helpful to engage them in a more structured therapy, such as with Evolve, a psychologist or counsellor. Jessica had an important piece of advice that she thought everyone should give to young people about this. Teaching someone, like particularly a young person, that, you know, the first person may not always be the right person. You know, it's these things, they may be small things, but they're very important things, you know, because taking them into adult life is just their lessons, you know. They may just be small things, but they are big things. To conclude this episode, we would like to offer some questions for reflection. What daily activities do you engage young people in to build their awareness of their inner emotional world? Do you regularly help young people to connect the dots between triggers, thoughts, emotions and behaviour? Even when a critical incident didn't occur? for listening to this episode of Peak Care Stories of Hope and Healing. Our next episode will be exploring how to build young people's positive identity. This, this idea that we need to belong and 
If we don't belong, it's acutely painful. Every young, young Aboriginal Islander person should be given the opportunity to find out who their family is so that, as I said, they can form their own identity um, and establish a sense of belonging to a particular community. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and gained a better insight into what the concepts mean in your day-to-day roles with children and young people. We are indebted to the time and wisdom of our interviewees and would like to thank the Create Foundation for their support with interviewing the young people. Be sure to check out our show notes for additional resources for the episode. You can also check out our other episodes in the Stories of Hope and Healing series through your favourite podcast app or by visiting peakcare.org.au or pracademics.org.au. This has been produced and narrated by Pracademics Inc. All music has been produced by me, Matthew Schrader.